And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. In honor of Black History Month. Black History Month. My life, my career started. Civil City, Mississippi. Population 300. My mom and my nine siblings. We pick cotton for 12 hours a day in the cotton fields in the Delta of Mississippi. We didn't have money and food, but we sure did have a love for God. Many times we would be so hungry, so desperate, but every time God came through for our family. Somebody would walk up to us and say, Eunice, I got some beans. I got some rice. We were able to eat. From that humble beginning, my brother Leroy, he said, man, you know what? I want to come and get you and bring you up north to meet a great coach, a man by the name of Will Robinson. Will Robinson, Will Robinson was the first black coach to ever coach in NC2A history. Will Robinson adopted me and raised me along with James and Ida Bell. These people did not know about this guy was going to be a great talent or a great basketball player. It was a human was spirit. A human from there, we were able to win the Class A state championship. The first time the city of Detroit ever won it in 35 years. And along the way, a young man from the Detroit Pistons who had no business playing with high school boys. Dave Bing. Right there. Dave Bing, Dave Bing would bring the Pistons over to our gym in high school and we scrimmaged the Pistons. That's the kind of love that we had on in Detroit. It was a special and wonderful love. From there, ended up in Trinidad, Colorado. Colorado. And Will Robinson said to me, well, you know, this place is close to Denver. And it's also close to Albuquerque. I didn't know because we didn't have Google. We didn't have anything. So, so I go to Trinidad. In 1968, we had a black boycott of the 68 Olympics. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wesley Unsell, Elvin Hayes, solidarity of the African-American community said, I'm not going. I'm not going. The coach said, Hank Albert said, I got a boy down there in junior college. He's only 18. We're going to bring him down here to the U.S. Olympics in Mexico City. And they brought me down there, and I was like, wow. We were an underdog in 1968. We was not supposed to win. Not supposed to win. But we went 9-0, and and we won the gold medal. not supposed to win. I set a record in points with 144. This guy that just came in in 2012 broke it after 44 years. Kevin Durant. Is he here? No, I'm just joking. But anyway, from there I went back to the University of Detroit, Detroit, where I was the college player of the year. 32 points, 23 boards. NBA had made a big draft pick for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And the ABA came to me calling and like knocking on the door. You're gonna need help. Your family's poor. Come on, let's come with me. So here I am in Denver. Dan Issel right back there, yes. That first year in Denver, I averaged 30 points and 20 rebounds for 82 games. 
I was doing serious work. I became the MVP, serious. Rookie of the Year, leading scorer, leading rebounder. But then MVP of I signed with Seattle. And I was still an underclassman. But I had a guardian angel in Seattle. Just like Barclays, my today's guardian angel. I had Lenny Wilkins. Yes, sir. I had Lenny Wilkins because when I signed with Seattle, the NBA filed suit against me and put an injunction on me that I could not play. That I could not play for 10 games. So I struggled and was waiting like, what am I going to do? And then we filed suit. And we got on the floor. And when I walk on the floor, they would throw things on me and say, you're destroying basketball and college basketball as we know it for pros. But we got through it. We kept going on and on. We went through the lower court, through the state court, all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court says, I believe in I you, believe young man, because young man. I was fighting for my mother. My mother was still in Silver City. Mississippi picking cotton for two dollars a day. So I was able to get her off of her knees because her back had went out. <laughs> Man, cotton picking is some hard work, but it, it'll make you strong. So by doing that, I see the results of all of this hard work and what my fight was. I won't go through it all because I promise. Hard work, but it, it'll make you strong. To so, see the results today, for an example, young fella, for a guy like a guy LeBron like James, LeBron James he got four extra years at $25 million. He's $100 million rich. Kevin Durant got three extra years. He's $75 million richer. Steph Curry, he's got two years, so he's got $50 million. So I see the impact, and I see what I've done by the grace of God that has happened for me. And to be here in this Hall of Fame tonight is like a blessing. It's beyond me, and it's wonderful. I want to acknowledge a wife of 25 years, Linda Haywood, right there. And the man who started it all, my brother Leroy, right there. I remember, guys, I had game. I had game. It was not like I just did this Supreme Court thing. I had some serious game. Thank you, and God bless you. Thank you. In honor of Black History Month. Black to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlecht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is I missed this shot. I walk away. I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get the athletic for 30% off. Who boy, Al, it's been quite a week. Trade deadline week is over. The trades have been made, but Al, tell me what happened in the NBA this week. Well, what a week it was, Andrew. It all started Friday night in Toronto, where the Raptors continued their winning ways beating the Atlanta Hawks 125-114, to 114, the Raptors would have another undefeated week, bringing their winning streak up to eight straight games. Siakam is back 
Fred Van Vliet is an all-star. Gary Trent Jr. is dropping 42 points in a game. Scotty Barnes <laughs> is a core piece of a playoff team as a rookie. OG Ananobi is cool. I really like him. <laughs> he is cool. The Raps are now the sixth seed, a game up on the Celtics and two and a half games on the Nets. On Saturday, Miami beat Charlotte 104 to 106. The Raps aren't the only team streaking this week because the Heat also went undefeated this past week, have now won four in a row. The Heat now sit all alone at the top of the Eastern Conference standings, a game and a half up on the Bulls, Cavs, Bucks trio. Here's a fun little game you can play. Close your eyes and try ranking the Eastern Conference teams in your head right now. Oh my gosh, you, you, dude, it is unbelievably stacked. You've seen what all these teams did at the trade line, so just, just close your eyes and rank them. It seems easy. That team that you just ranked fourth in your head, you should feel terrible about yourself. <laughs> Do you even watch no. basketball? <laughs> uh, on Sunday... Hold on a second here. Do we have another streaker? Yes, we did, Andrew. Your pick for this year's turnaround team, the Boston Celtics, also went undefeated this week, beating the Magic on Sunday as part of a six-game winning streak. Since our New Year's Day episode, where you picked the Celtics, they have gone 14-6, number one ranked defense, number one overall net rating in the league. They've turned it around. They have. On Monday, the Suns. Guess what, Andrew? We've got another freaking streaker this week. The Suns <laughs> had a nice win on the road against the Chicago Bulls, 127-124. The Jazz also looked to be regaining their form, beating the Knicks on Monday night, which they followed up with an impressive win over Golden State. Did anyone have a bad week? What the hell? Oh, yeah. On Wednesday <laughs> night, the Lakers... Without Russell Westbrook, with LeBron and AD, lost to a Portland Trailblazers team that, through trades and injuries, only had two players from their opening night nine-man rotation. This was the worst loss of the Lakers' season, but fortunately, there is good news for Lakers fans because this loss occurred on Wednesday night, which meant there was still plenty of time for Rob Palenka to work some Lakers magic and make a splashy trade to save the season. Which brings us to Thursday, where we dove headfirst into the deal zone. One of the more exciting deadline days in recent memory, of course headlined by the swap of Ben Simmons and James Harden. But we'll get to all that, so why not end this week in review with another look at the Phoenix Suns? Because on the same day, we were all high as a kite in the deal zone. The Suns went out in a finals rematch and dominated the Milwaukee Bucks 131-107. to The Suns are now 45-10 and and four and a half games clear of the second best team in the NBA. Lordy, lordy, mom turned 40, Andrew. (laughs) What a week. There's just almost too much that happened. There's too much. We shouldn't even bother, to be honest. With trades and everything. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, Al... You want to go into some trade grades? Uh, yeah, no, trade grades. We're not doing trade grades, Andrew. Oh, not grades. Awards. <laughs> awards. We have, a, we have evolved past grades. We now give awards. Yes, this is the Slam and Jam Trade Deadline Awards. I've come up with uh, nine awards to give out. You and I have not spoken uh, at all about anything. No. Uh, but especially about this. <laughs> and so we don't know who the other chose. We, we could potentially choose the same winner. So let's let's jump right into it with our first award, the Deal Zone Award, because the I, th- I thought the Simmons Harden trade deserved its own its own award. So this award goes to the most interesting thing 
to you about the Simmons-Harden trade? There's so many angles for this trade. What was the most interesting thing that came out of this for you? I think one is that it's going to be so interesting to see Ben Simmons play basketball again. And then two, the way that people have flipped on Ben Simmons in like the last six weeks has been kind of unbelievable to me. Because six weeks ago, it was, they're not going to get anything for Ben Simmons during the season. Why would anybody give up anything for him? And now, it's, holy smokes, the Nets are the title favorites. I actually think that they, uh, they have the better end of the trade. It's just funny to me how things have flipped like tremendously. And I'm not saying I completely disagree. I think that we've been on the side of like Ben Simmons is still a valuable player. However, it's just funny to me like how quickly people have flipped on Ben. Yeah, I think uh, I think the part of that switch was I think we were all assuming he was going to a team like Sacramento where they were going to be sure. trading him trading for him as like their star, their guy. Mm-hmm. But now going mm-hmm. to a team with KD and Kyrie, like my most interesting thing about this is how much does he improve their defense? That is that is yeah. the thing I'm most excited to find out because we know defense has been an issue for this Nets team since acquiring KD. They were 22nd last season. They were ranked 9th this year on December 1st, but after some injuries back down to 21st. The idea of a KD Simmons front court in small ball lineup sounds so cool in my head. And this idea <laughs> that Simmons could be this do-everything defender for the Nets has me really intrigued because as good as he was defensively in Philly, he also played 62% of his minutes last season with Joel Embiid, who is an incredible mm-hmm. defender. So now he's on mm-hmm. a team that is going to be relying him, not just as a key cog in the defense, but as the anchor. And like, can he do that? And so I'm very interested to see how he responds to that and to see what his defensive ceiling really might be. Yeah. No, it's, it's a really good point. Um, our next award, Andrew. Match Made in Heaven Award, a positive one. This award goes to the traded player who is a perfect fit for his new team. And for this award, I am giving it to Dante DiVincenzo, traded to the okay. Kings. Now, listen, listen here. Now, the reaction to the Sabonis trade, it was one of the more immediately one-sided reactions we saw this deadline. Even those yeah. who were positive about the trade, maybe they saw some upside with the Fox-Sabonis pairing the effect of Sabonis on that offense, there was still a general feeling that this roster needs a lot more work to optimize Sabonis. And one of the obvious areas to improve is the defense of the Kings because they have been a bottom two defense two years in a row now. And even though Sabonis has improved defensively, no one's expecting him to come in and dramatically change the Kings on that end. And so even though they ended up not moving Rashawn Holmes for another big that might fit better, I do think the addition of DiVincenzo is a good start to reshaping this roster. He's admittedly been rough since coming back from ankle injury. And to complicate matters even more, he's a restricted free agent this summer. But the good news is the Kings only had to give up Marvin Bagley, a guy who has wanted out for years at this point. So Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't work out, even if DiVincenzo doesn't recapture what he was pre-injury, it's basically a free flyer for a guy who, if he gets back to his old self, could bring some much-needed defense and shooting for this team. I just don't see any downside here for the Kings, unless they, like for some reason, massively overpay him this summer. I guess that is a potential (laughs) downside. I was going to say, don't don't say there's no potential downside (laughs) with any Kings thing. Just don't do that. 
my match made in heaven is Torrey Craig, back to the Suns from the Pacers. Uh, he, they needed another wing. He played really, really well for them in the playoffs, and he's a guy on the wing that can soak up minutes. He can defend multiple positions. You know, that's kind of what they needed, and so it's it's kind of an easy one for me because I've seen it. I know what it looks like, and I know that it works. Yeah, and I just like a team in their position still going out and trying to improve. I just like a team yeah. doing that, going for it. Even I mean, is Tory Craig going for it? I don't know. But just the fact I that mean, they're adding something to that roster for this stretch run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, next award is the Is That It Award? Is that it? This award goes to the deadline deal that left us the most confused. I have a feeling we might have the same one. What was yours, Andrew? It's got to be the Dallas trade, right? <laughs> yes, it is absolutely the Dallas trade. I, I want to walk through this because there are so many aspects yeah. of this that confuse me. So a couple hours before this trade went down, Jake Fisher reported, quote, word first started making the rounds last night and discussion of a framework where Kristaps Porzingis potentially heads to Toronto has circulated around NBA front offices. There's, of course, mutual interest in bringing Dragic to Dallas. Unclear how serious talks are. Okay. Then Tim McMahon of ESPN quote retweets that and says, I was told that the Mavs would need, quote, a lot more than the Goran Dragic pick package Raptors have been shopping to have serious interests. How did mm-hmm. we go from that, an expiring contract and a pick, to taking on Spencer Dinwiddie and Bertans? Bertans, who has had, who has a top five worst contract in the league, did the Mavs like drop the ball here and not expect Toronto to pivot to Thad Young? Like, did they think that Toronto was always going to come back because they love Porzingis so much? Like, I I kind of understand the idea of trading Porzingis's bad contract for two smaller bad contracts that are more easily moved theoretically, but it's su- going to say, are they? I know, <laughs> but it's such a whiplash going from that Raptors report from credible journalists to what they ended yeah. up doing. Yeah, and I just don't quite understand the fit. Like, Bertans hasn't been good for a couple seasons. And then Dinwiddie... Dinwiddie has just as much trouble staying on the court. I think Dinwiddie and Porzingis, I think Dinwiddie's been in the league one more season. And they've played about the same amount of games their entire season. So, like, we're not talking about some, like, bill of health from Dinwiddie coming to Dallas. It's a, they're about the same. So, like, what are we what are we doing here? I know a lot of people argue that you know Chris Stapps just doesn't play enough. But yeah, and then I I don't know. Do they really? Are they I know they need more ball handling, but I just don't know that Dinwiddie's the guy that I would have spent the Porzingis trade on. And and one of the arguments is if you look at his splits this season in Washington, he's been much better without Bradley Beal. And so you say to yourself, well, maybe there's still a good player in there somewhere. But I think it's significant that he is better in those minutes without a star next to him because he's going to Dallas where he's playing with Luka. So it's like, I guess if he's just running the bench unit, maybe you'll see a better version of Spencer Dinwiddie. But it just it feels risky. They're, they're, they obviously feel like Dinwiddie and Bertans can significantly help them this year because otherwise like you're selling Porzingis at his absolute lowest value. That This deal would have been there this summer. Like, who yeah. is Washington trading Dinwiddie and Bertons for? So, right. and then Mark Cuban comes out and says to the Dallas News that we're going to be in luxury hell next year, but that's okay. It frees up the year after that. Which, am I missing something? Because, yes, Dwight Powell <laughs> and Maxi Kleba are expiring next season. Okay. 
But you yeah. still have Tim Hardaway Jr., Luca, Bertons, Dinwiddie, if he plays more than 50 games, Dorian Finney-Smith, who just signed an extension yesterday, all with contracts that go longer than next season, and that's before factoring in what Jalen Brunson might get this summer, who I exactly. assume you want to keep. Right. Because if Dinwiddie is being thought of as Brunson insurance because they're that worried about losing him, I'm even more worried. Right. Yeah, because you don't have I, – I have the feeling that it's more like Tim Hardaway Jr. insurance, like taking away that – taking that spot on the roster – but still, like that's just not to me. That just wouldn't be the guy. So I am perplexed. And then one more thing: <laughs> when asked about the buyout market, Mavs GM Nico Harrison said, "I think we're set." So after all that, they're not even going after Dragic, which I, I get. Oh, like you, you don't necessarily need him at this point. But I just don't. Yeah, I, not now. I don't understand the long-term vision in Dallas yet. The good news, I'll end on a positive note is that they do have first-round picks to trade again in the future. So maybe they can do something in the summer trade market. We'll see. But for now, I'm very confused. Yeah, okay. That's so weird. Uh, our next award, the NBA Hipster Award. Now, this award, Andrew, goes to the trade that not enough people are talking about, but you think is really cool and people should check out. W- what did you choose for this? <laughs> it- is it is Derek White small enough? Yes, he is. Because that, is, that was deal? my choice as well. Yeah, I love the Celtics getting Derek White. He's the type of dynamic guard that they haven't had really. You know, a guy that can shoot it, he can defend. I think he helps them quite a bit. And you're closing games with Derek White probably at point, and he can play off ball. He just kind of fixes a lot of things for the Celtics on the perimeter. He does. He can do so much and. I do think the deal was pretty pricey because I initially did not know that they also included that 2028 pick swap, which is which right. is a little juicy. Apparently, it's only top one protected swap. Yeah, which good on the Spurs because the 2022 first, you know, that'll just kind of be what a whatever pick. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited about this. You were the one who got me into Derek White back during his draft class. He was your guy at yeah. the end of the first. That was my guy. That was the year the Thunder took Terrence Ferguson instead. It would have been nice if they had taken Derek yeah. White. Um, but yeah. but anyway, Derek White, he's been one of these guys who's he's been an NBA smart guy. You know, he's on the Spurs. Not a lot of people watching him, but smart people are talking about Derek White. His exposure is about to go up significantly in Boston. This this trade was on Thursday. We're probably a week away from Bill Simmons comparing Derek White to some Celtics legend. Like it, it, that is coming. Oh, without a Just doubt, that's coming. There's no question. <laughs> okay, our next award is the Asleep at the Wheel Award. This award goes to the team that most missed an opportunity at the deadline. Who are you giving this award to, Andrew? I mean, it's kind of easy to give it to the Lakers, right? It is easy, which is why I didn't do it, Andrew. Yeah. I mean, the amount of upgrades that they need to be the team that they want to be is not going to be settled through the buyout market. Also, It just won't. Also, I think pre-deadline, anyone could look at what their trade assets were and could foresee that they probably weren't going to do anything significant at the deadline. Yeah. Yeah, it's... But it's... I think that, yes, I think that makes sense. But the Lakers are always able to do something, even when things don't make sense. Not anymore, Andrew. So, (laughs) things might be changing. But I still do think that there's perhaps an opportunity missed there. Somebody must have wanted that 2027 unprotected pick, you know? Oh, I'm sure they did. But, like, who were you getting that actually makes it worth it to the Lakers? 
Uh, that's that's a good question, but th- they're a team that desperately needs a change. And you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on your team, and you're going to be a play-in team. It's going to be a fun rest of the season for them. Yeah, I, <laughs> I still think that they're completely asleep at the. So wheel. with this this award, I actually let you go first because I assumed you were going to say Houston, who I did also not choose. Because yeah. Houston ended up not moving Eric Gordon or Christian Wood, although I think Eric Gordon is the main one sure. that people thought would be moved. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I didn't go with them. I I don't want us to forget the Golden State Warriors, who okay. opted to not make any trades at this year's deadline. I know that last week I said I was done doubting the Warriors, but I would like <laughs> to doubt the Warriors once more. Uh, listen, I understand if they didn't want to move their young guys. Didn't feel like they need to make a major move, but similar to Phoenix adding a few defenders, it just felt like the Warriors could have added another front court option just to shore up. I mean, we still don't have a firm idea of when Draymond Green is coming back. And frankly, if he doesn't come, mm-hmm. you know, if, if he is limited in any way, none of this really matters. And maybe that was their calculus. But I don't know. I just felt like they could have done something because this team looks so good. And it's similar to Phoenix, like, Phoenix is 45 and 10, but they're not settling. Like they're still going out and trying to add something to this team that might help them for, you know, a few plays in the playoff, like, or a few matchups in the playoffs. And I just would have liked to see something like that from Golden State, but they'll probably be fine. Yeah. I mean, Golden State, Golden State's just trying to thread, thread the needle of having like a great team now and a great team later. Totally. And that's, that's, that's what they're doing. And I think that they, I think Jonathan Kaminga has probably played well enough over this last stretch to where you can play him as your small ball center. You know, they, they do that in stretches and it's, it's, it's a risky proposition certainly to play him in the playoffs in that way, but yeah, that scares me. I don't know. Could he do it? Could he do it for eight minutes a game? Like maybe he can, he might have to. Um, okay. Our next award is the, you know what? That's a good point award which this award goes to the best argument you heard for a trade you didn't like. And I'm giving this award, Andrew, to Mason Ginsburg, who is host of the In the Know podcast, NO, standing for New Orleans, Pelicans fan. I did not love the Pelicans deal for CJ McCollum initially. I was focused on the contract. I was focused on the backcourt fit with Devontae Graham, which I still don't really like. I generally don't love the idea of making an all-out move when you're that far down the standings, but as I thought about it more, I had to acknowledge that I have some biases when it comes to this deal. I have not liked a lot of what David Griffin has done over the past couple of years. I also live in Portland, and so I've been surrounded by Blazers fans who love CJ, but were also very ready to see him off from Portland. And then Mason Ginsburg yeah. brought up the point about the realities of being in a small market. He tweeted that marquee free agents do not come to New Orleans. You have to draft or trade for talent. If you can get meaningful upgrades at minimal asset costs and have the cap flexibility to do so, why not? And I thought to myself, you know what? He's probably right. Because if you ignored yeah. the contracts <laughs> and just told me that a small market team has added CJ McCollum as their third best player, like that's objectively good. And and sure. so why do I even care about the contract? It's not like New Orleans is doing anything with that cap space anyways. So like the one potential opportunity cost is what if a young player or young star becomes available? New Orleans is one of these teams with a treasure trove of extra picks. Do you want to wait for that? But they likely could still make that deal. And also, that opportunity may never arrive. So why do I really care? Like, CJ's good. He's not a perfect player, and he's not a perfect fit, but he's better than any other guard on that roster. 
And unlike Sacramento, at least New Orleans has a legitimate superstar that when added back into this team will vault them to another level. So uh, mm-hmm. so why not? You know, I'm changing my opinion from negative to mild positivity. Yeah. I'd say mine is just the Seth Curry edition in, in the Nets trade and how much a movement shooter matters. I think it was Mo Dekeel that was talking about this yesterday, that having a guy like that next to Joel Embiid, who you just have to watch as he's just moving all around the court, helps the offense so much. And now not having that kind of guy, you just wonder what the offense will look like for Philadelphia. Now, I, I think that obviously James Harden is a huge upgrade over Seth Curry. I think that you'd be foolish to say that it's not. But a movement shooter that can kind of score in a lot of different ways, I think they're going to miss that. And the Nets are, are getting that alongside Ben Simmons. I think that's it, it makes that deal look really nice for the Nets if if they can get healthy and if perhaps the, the mandates change and Kyrie can play in a lot of games. I think Seth Curry is going to be huge for them. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree. I, I like Curry on Brooklyn. I would say though, like a counter to that would be that it's gonna be much harder to double Embiid now because you have James yeah. Harden on that roster. So maybe that opens up more and, and it's gonna change. Out. Yeah. The the way that they do things will change, certainly. Um okay, our next award, I need to see it award. This award goes to the team whose trade deadline you think might have been good, but you need to see it first. Who did you choose for this? Yeah, I I like the addition of Serge Ibaka to the Bucks, but Ibaka hasn't been very good, and so I need to see what he looks like with them yeah, it's very before fair. I say that that they they've got something good. Like the idea of Serge Ibaka, like a shot blocker that can shoot threes and you know play defense, like, that sounds great. But is he that guy anymore? You know, the Clippers were willing to get rid of him, and they're a team that's pushing for the play and would like to be a playoff team. You know, is that you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, and you look at what the Clippers got back in Rodney Hood and Shimmy Ojale, and you're like, okay, maybe it's not as good as we think. So I really need to see that before, before I really can weigh in. And especially considering they gave up DiVincenzo in that deal, a wing who, you know, he's not playing great, but he has a wing. And then last night, Pat Connaughton breaks yep. his finger. So now you're down on the wing by two That's guys. That's a huge deal. It's a huge deal for them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. For mine, I went with Portland because I actually liked what Portland did as far as clearing the decks, reversing sure. literally almost everything Neil Olshay has done the past few seasons. I thought it was a necessary step for a roster that had become really stale. They now have flexibility. They have actual trade assets other teams would want. I understand that part of the plan. That said, I was sort of hoping they'd complete one significant deal for a core piece before the deadline. We had heard a lot of rumors about Jeremy Grant. A trade like that, even if I'm not the biggest Grant fan, would have given me a lot more confidence going into this summer with Portland. And of course, that trade absolutely could still happen this summer. But the added pressure of trying to construct this entire team in the summer just has me a bit nervous. You know, in his in his post-game or post-deadline presser, uh, Blazers interim GM Joe Cronin said, quote, I'm confident we can be competitive with free agents. I am not confident, Andrew, and I really no. need to see it to believe it. I still think they are set up very well for making trades this summer, especially if the Pelicans miss the playoffs and that becomes you know a late lottery pick. But I really need to see it, and I really wish they had made one next step move to give me a little more confidence. 
I'd be so worried about an interim GM changing my entire roster. I know. Well, the, yeah, like, that's the other thing. Hey, we we kind of believe in you, uh, but we're going to let you do just strip the whole thing down and build it all the way back up. And you better do it in the next four months. And if you don't, then you're just going to be gone. It's like, what? wait, wait a minute. Well, that's that's not a good strategy. And And I would hope that they would make him permanent or or find a permanent GM before the buildup happens. Because, like, let's be honest, the teardown is the easy part, like, in comparison. <laughs> like, Yeah, it's easy. Th- but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of spaces there where people said, I don't think they got enough. I know. You know, for some of the guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's, that's another issue where, I mean, and we know as Thunder fans, like, Sam Presti would have gotten a lot more out of those guys than, than Cronin did, a guy who's a lot more inexperienced. So... It's it's a conundrum there in Portland. It's a conundrum. I still think it was the right idea, but obviously you need to see the other side of it because this was only half yeah. of the plan. Yeah. Um, next award, a deadline to remember award. This award goes to our favorite moment from trade deadline week 2022. And for mine, Andrew, during this trade season, I've been adding a lot of Kings fans to my Twitter feed. I've been uh, listening to King's podcast. Shout out to Deuce and Bo. All because this was shaping up to be such an interesting deadline for them and because the recent stretch before the deadline had been so bad on the court. Something was coming. Yeah. You could feel it. The Kings, they have great fans, and they've been through a lot, and this week was no different. Losing a second-year player who wants to be in Sacramento, who's an unquestioned top-five player in his draft class, who has a 100% approval rating on NBA Twitter, that is... That is mm-hmm. brutal. But for at least one night, and hopefully more for Kings fans, there was some <laughs> life back in the franchise. The Kings were playing with a ton of pace in that first game against the Wolves. They were whipping the ball around, Andrew. Fox and Sabonis looked great together. Sabonis' comments after the game, he said, quote, I'm just trying to find a home where I'm loved, and I feel like I found it here. I mean, how good is that, Andrew? Uh, and he wants to win a championship. He wants to win a championship. Listen, losing Halliburton is an absolute gut punch. And so even though it's one game, it was an awesome way for that week to end for Kings fans who are very deserving of watching fun basketball again. Yeah. Mine is the uh, the whole Brian Wynn horse versus oh, Woj. Oh, yeah, the deal zone. <laughs> it was incredible. One for him to call it the deal zone is so fun. It's incredible. And while he is spouting deal zone, Woj is saying that nothing is going to happen. And then Woj has to completely walk it all back and act like, oh, this was just happening today. No, no, it wasn't. Mm. The deal zone was happening. It had been happening. So I just, I love that. Congrats to Brian Windhorst. So good. And he created a phrase that we'll be using forever. Oh, yeah. Um, Okay, final award. The Wheel of Fandom Award. This award goes to the team we're most interested in watching post-trade deadline. Who do you want to get on the Wheel of Fandom this week? Imagine you could get any team. Oh, it's unfortunate that we couldn't get the Sixers again <laughs> yeah. because I want to watch. I want to. I'm. I am so interested to watch the Sixers team, but I'll, I think I'll go Celtics. I'm interested to see what they look like with these new parts, and they have five open roster spots right now, oh, yeah. which I, I don't I don't know what they're going to do with those roster spots, but they can fill their roster with guys that can play, and I'm interested to see what that looks like. So, yeah, I want to see I want to see Derek White. I want to see a, a functional guard, a functional two way guard. 
with the Celtics. Yeah, it's it's uh, a little unfortunate we've already gotten the Nets and the Sixers as like two of our first I five teams. <laughs> I know that's I would have said either one yeah. of those. Yeah. Uh, you know what, Andrew? I'm going back to the well. I'm all aboard the Kings bandwagon, Andrew. No, you're not. Don't do <laughs> yes. it. Don't. Do I'm it. buying back in. I'm doubling oh, no. down. Never trust the Kings. Uh, I know I uh, shouldn't, but uh, that first game, it, I just, I just loved it, and I, I felt all the emotion, and I just want to see where this goes. Maybe that was the only game <laughs> that I would feel that way about, but that's the only game I've seen so far. So I'm on a high right now, and I'm just ready to keep going down this road with the Kings. <laughs> Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and at the other side of that break, we're going to talk to Mike Smeltz for a few minutes about what it was like to be a Nets fan this past week. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Oh man, what a week it was to be a Nets fan. Just unbelievable stuff. I, I can't... You know, we started hearing the rumors that they might actually trade James Harden. And they're like, are they really going to do that? And then more and more stories started to trickle out. And then we had the deal zone. And we had, and it just felt like, yeah, this is going to happen. And I had to bring Mike Smeltz back on the pod, who was with us a couple weeks ago, uh, to just walk us through what it was like to be a Nets fan over the past you know, couple weeks. It was hell. It was absolute. It was a, I described it as like Woj's version of purgatory. It was just, we were stuck in this zone, the deal zone, as you said, <laughs> of leaks. And like, it wasn't just leaks of like Harden wanted to leave. It was also leaks from the other side of the Nets trying, to, for some reason, posing like, no, Harden wants to be here. He's committed to the team, blah, blah, blah. Like, so it was leaks from multiple directions. Clutch and Rich Paul were leaking stuff. Daryl Morey is the king of propaganda. Yep. And the Nets aren't very good at that game, uh, but they had to get in it through various other sources and it sucked um my co-host brian and i on our show the glue guys we had an episode a month ago when the rumors came out about i think from sam amick and shams yeah uh and we said the silliness of the james harden trade rumors not doubting the their reporting just we thought it was daryl Morey's propaganda we were like (laughs) completely wrong um and now i i sit here with you guys today and i'm i feel so relieved I, I know this Ben Simmons thing isn't going to work out, 
like the way it fits in my head right now, but it's I couldn't stand watching James Harden play basketball anymore. It was it was it was it had just gone too far. He had he had burned down that bridge way too far. What's it been like talking yourself into the Ben Simmons deal? Like we we talked and you said that you wouldn't want it to happen. And the but you would talk yourself into it quickly. So what's been the process like yeah. in talking yourself into Ben? I mean, he's going to be a faster, more athletic, more versatile Draymond Green, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he's better than Draymond, who's in Hall of Famer. Uh, I'm excited. The thing that helped, James Harden did the Nets fans a gift. His last game that he played for the Nets was probably his worst performance of his career since maybe he was like a rookie, which is he scored four points against the Sacramento Kings in a game that the Nets could have win could have won that would have stopped now a 10 game winning streak <laughs> or losing streak excuse yeah, me yeah. losing streak um he was so horrific and it was a late night game it was at one of the 10 o'clock tips here on the east coast you know only the diehards are watching Kings Nets if you're a Nets fan yeah and I you know it's horrific we get on spaces it was uh, it was like apocalypse now on spaces. It was a real ugly scene. Um, so he gave us a gift. So now I'm just revived and excited to see Ben Simmons play with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant set a really nice tone on TNT during oh the All Star Selection that was show. So great. <laughs> well, to me that was actually a helpful bit of information. He comes down. Have you talked about it yet on the show? No, we haven't. I mean, no. by the time this you know comes out, I guess it won't be so new. But the fact that Kevin Durant was picking his all-star team and he was left with Rudy Gobert, someone he he has thrown under the bus many, many times, and James Harden. Those are the two guys left. And he didn't pick James Harden. And it was like, if he felt a different kind of way about the trade, maybe if he felt, why are we trading James Harden? He would yeah. have taken him in that circumstance. He didn't. I think, and he said, he has said, and Kyrie has said, and multiple players have said, uh, we want to play with guys who actually want to be in Brooklyn. And yeah. they didn't say that James technically didn't, but he did say, Kevin Durant said, everyone got what they wanted. Um, I, I'm i excited about Ben Simmons. He's already going to be with the team in Miami and like his, you know, mental health, I, you know, that we can get into that whole debate. I am Excited for his mental health to feel better. And Brooklyn, yeah. hey, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's going to be great. Do you have like a dream five-man lineup mm. that you're already excited to, to watch? So I really hope Joe Harris comes back, right? Health, I mean, of course, all Nets fans do. So I do just for, I know this is unsustainable, but I want the Kyrie, Patty Mills, Joe Harris, Katie, Ben Simmons as like the five yeah. lineup. Yeah. Defensively, it doesn't really do much though. Katie and Simmons offer a lot of flexibility and versatility on the back end. But offensively, you're surrounding Ben Simmons with, you know, four of the best shooters in the NBA. Oh, I mean, like, I forgot, Seth Curry could also be out there. So, yeah. like, you know, like, that's what's kind of crazy. You could sub out Joe Harris because we don't know if he's going to come back. It would be Seth. It's That's what I love about the deal. When it first came out that it was maybe Ben Simmons and Danny Green, you know, I'm not Dave DeFore. I don't, Danny Green isn't like, you know, I love, I like him a lot, but I don't, you know, it's not the Dave DeFore level of love, but yeah, I would, I would have hated that. Getting Seth Curry is, it's massive. Drummond is actually, the Nets are one of the few teams that can use Andre Drummond. And the, yeah. you know, the first round picks are first round picks. You yeah. know, we'll use those to get Damian Lillard next offseason. Not a big right. deal. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, uh, you feel, how do you feel about, this would be our last question, the, yeah. the chances of them winning the title now? Because it felt like they were title favorites, then the guys really just didn't play together. And yeah. it still felt like, well, if they can get it together and maybe if they're a lower seed and they can play, you know, more games with Kyrie, like they can make this work. But how do you, how do you feel now about the Nets title hopes? Uh, it's still like all links back to Kyrie and his status. Yeah. We know that this Kyrie situation is probably, probably the biggest part of why James Harden didn't want to be in Brooklyn anymore. Um, I've actually been talking to, uh, an insider in Albany, which is the capital of New York, Ooh. though, uh, about this situation uh, quickly, because uh, we don't have that much more time. It's a city decision. It's the New York City's decision to uh, that that put the play, rules in place that have limited Kyrie uh, from playing at home. So it's nothing to do when I say Albany. It's nothing to do with the state government level. But this person has his finger on the pulse a bit in local government in New York. And he was saying it's a 25% chance that uh, rules get lifted for Kyrie. And that's that's actually a bad number. Yeah. Um, we're obviously here in the Northeast, pretty much every governor, Republican and Democrat, are coming out, removing mandates, removing all that stuff because of everything that's happening after Omicron. Numbers are going down. Uh, it's different in New York City. It's just uh, it was the place that got hit the hardest. There's a new mayor in. He has less to do with public pressure than maybe other politicians. So to, unfortunately, this came into a vaccine conversation, but Kyrie is not getting vaccinated. So, uh, you know, he the, basically is waiting on the mayor of New York to maybe decide to change things. Uh, if they don't, then it it's so hard to think about the, f it's really hard to comprehend a playoff run that involves a part-time player. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> and one and a guy who's coming back from an MCL injury and a guy who, you know, has self-professed mental health problems. Um, <laughs> right. Right. And Joe Harris, who has loose bodies in his ankle still. And uh, so it's tough. You know, it's tough. But hey, if everything works out, I still think I, I do think this. The Nets are still the most talented team if everyone is a part of the picture that should be there, particularly now with Curry and Simmons and all that stuff. Uh, but I think it's hard. It's just hard to th to predict whether they'll have everyone. So, yeah. so you're saying they're still the best theoretical team in the NBA? Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, particularly now with Curry and and Drummond kind of taking the Blake Griffin minutes. Not that Drummond, we all know what Andre Drummond is at this point. Um, they're still the highest ceiling. And hey, what if Ben Simmons was just shooting, you know, five thousand three pointers a day? In the oh darkness. no! Oh no! <laughs> Don't do this to yourself. And he comes no. out and he's no, like a forty-five percent. Mike, come on! It's possible. It's this possible. This is worse. This is worse than believing in the Kings at this point. Don't do this. <laughs> the Kings. <laughs> oh God, the Kings. <laughs> Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show. Go listen to the Blue Guys for more Nets talk. It's a great show. It really is a fun show. Mina Kimes' favorite NBA podcast. So go check that out. All right, Andrew, it is time for the Wheel of Fandom, the segment where each week we spin a digital wheel, it lands on a random NBA team, and we become fans of that team for the next week. This past week, the Wheel of Fandom blessed us with the Indiana Pacers. We were skeptical at first. Would this be a good team to get on trade deadline week? What if we only got a Karis LeVert trade? But the Wheel of Fandom knew better because this week the Pacers 
in addition to going 0-3 on the basketball court, completed three trades. Karis Silvert to Cleveland for picks, Torrey Craig to Phoenix for Jalen Smith, and the granddaddy of them all, a deal with Sacramento sending two-time All-Star Demonis Sabonis to the Kings for a package that included everyone's favorite player, Tyrese Halliburton. What a week for the Pacers. So, Andrew, the Pacers are our team. Who is our guest this week? We've got Mark Schindler. He is a writer at Indy Cornrows and at basketballnews.com. You can also hear Mark on the Indy Cornrows podcast and on the Tag and Roll podcast. Mark, what's up, man? Uh, busy. Yeah. To, yesterday was like the craziest day of my professional life. So I, um, you know, I'm keeping on track with everything. Um, but it was fun, man. Like, it, I, yeah. I feel like I was talking to a couple of people yesterday. I think that was like the most fun deadline since 2015 when the Drogic trade yeah. happened. And that was just like an insane day. Um, but yeah, man, I'm doing really well. And I'm right there with you. I, uh, if you'd said blessed in talking about Pacers fandom <laughs> about a week ago, I would have scoffed at you. And now I'm like, okay, right. I can I can see it from a fan point of view. Yeah. So back in December, we heard reports that the Pacers wanted to trade both or at least one of their big men uh, and try to rebuild. And as we got closer to the deadline, it kind of felt like they were only going to make a small move. Mm-hmm. But how surprised were you by this past week and what are your big picture thoughts on the path that decided to take? Yeah. Um, I definitely wasn't surprised that Karras ended up getting moved, especially with some internal reporting um, and just his general frustration with where the team was at and how things were going. Um, his fit really was pretty murky. didn't really fit a lot of what Rick Carlisle wanted to do. Um, so I understood that Domas getting traded was kind of out of nowhere for me. Um, obviously he'd been mentioned throughout, but for the most part, it was more like, yeah, he's, you know, the Pacers will field calls, but they're going to ask for a King's ransom and the, the Kings gave a ransom, I guess. Yep. Um, wow, that worked out well. Uh, I guess when I got the notification that, that Tyrese was in the package, I mean, I thought it was fake at first. I, I was like, wow, the Kings are doing that. And, uh, I, I think that there's a lot more to it than that, but that was, a uh, that was surprising. Um, as for the direction, uh, I think I feel like a little bit of torsion. Is, you know, I'm getting pulled in multiple ways with it. I, I'm excited about them going in a new direction because they've needed to for a while. Um, but I also feel like there's still a lot of holdover from this last group. Um, and I'm cautious about what that means. You know, are they really going to um are, are they going to look to move Malcolm Brogdon in the offseason? Are they going to to look to what's going to happen with TJ Warren? I have no idea. I haven't seen or heard from TJ Warren in like over a year. So um, I don't know what to make of that. And then, I mean, Miles is reportedly coming back, but is this team going to really commit to a rebuild or is this just a one-year retool and, and we'll see what happens? So I think it's, uh, it's a lot of wait and see until we get near the draft and, and closer to the offseason. Yeah, you, you nailed it. That was actually our next question, Mark. So yeah, uh, great was, job. Yeah. We we're going to ask you because they do they do still have those those holdovers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the most notable trade made by the Pacers was, of course, the deal made to acquire Tyrese Halliburton. When that deal was made, we learned just how much everyone on NBA Twitter loves Halliburton. What are your thoughts about Halliburton in Indiana and how he might fit with some of their other young pieces? Well, I absolutely love it. I mean, uh, he is, I, I know you guys do some draft work too and keep up with college. So like to see where Tyrese has come from, where he was as a, as a freshman at, at Iowa State, um, it's really hard to put a cap on what he could be because of how much he's already grown from there. Um, I think he's the closest that the Pacers have had to a true primary since Paul George was there. Um, he still has some some flaws. Like he's really going to have to work on just more aggression in terms of getting downhill. He doesn't really have a lot of bursts there, but I mean, in terms of pure playmaking and ability to manipulate a defense, 
I mean, there hasn't been a perimeter guy in that in Indiana like ever. Um, so that's really exciting, um, especially because, you know, he already has so many capabilities as a pick and roll operator. Um, he's probably the best shooter on the team. Now, I mean, I, I mean, Buddy Heald's there, but shooter that can yeah. can stay on the floor. Um, so that's incredibly enticing. Um, I think him alongside Duarte is really exciting me because they've tried to, you know, uh, move Duarte a little bit more on ball as the season's gone on. And it's actually been, you know, surprisingly effective to a degree. Like I, I wasn't expecting much of that from him this year after seeing him at Oregon last year. Um, I'm just really excited about what the two of them together could be, because you can just look at them and see a, a, a pairing that can, can stay on court together. Obviously Tyrese has to figure some things out the point of attack defensively, but um, two just high quality players with, with upside that, you know, we, we just haven't really got to talk about two young guys like that. Um, in Indiana for a while. So I'm really excited about their on-court fit together. You tweeted about it this morning in response to a Nikias Duncan piece, but what do you think about that potential relationship with Rick Carlisle in terms of like calling plays every time down the court versus letting him have a little bit more freedom? Yeah, that's, uh, that's something I'm really uh, interested by. Uh, Caitlin Cooper and I, who's who's been on the pod before uh, we were talking about that this morning on a podcast and uh, I'm not sure, man, like, Rick Carlisle is obviously a great coach and a really smart person, but he's certainly had a heavy hand on how this roster has been built and how things have played out. Like earlier in the year, they really didn't play Domas in in a way that made a lot of sense for him. They were trying to really force feed things to be five out. Um, just because you play five out doesn't mean teams are going to guard you like that. And eventually they started to, you know, move towards more playing through Sabonis. And I think that made, made for a much better offense was better for Domas, but um he, he's done less play calling recently. Um, I'm interested just to see what that looks like moving forward, because especially with Tyrese, like when you have guys like that with that type of feel, um, I want to see them do free flowing things. Like I think that's where you're going to get the most out of him from. Um, I, I don't have a clear cut answer. I mean, I, I'm again, yeah. cautiously optimistic, but um, I'm, I'm given how Rick's tenure ended in Dallas. I'm not exactly uh, for sure that it's going to be any different. Right. Well, let's flip it to the other side, because after that trade was completed, you tweeted that Sabonis was one of the least understood players in the league, which I think I agree with. And I also don't know if going to Sacramento is going to change that. What is it about Sabonis that people miss or don't get? Yeah, um, it's I was saying this this morning, too, like selfishly, I'm kind of glad that I don't have to cover him anymore because I feel like you I mean, if you say anything positive about him, there's always some kind of blowback to it. Um he is, I think a lot of people look at him and think of Julius Randle. And I don't mean that as a slight, like Julius Randle's a really good player. This year has not gone accordingly for him. It's been better recently, but still, um, I mean, Domas just does not hold the ball. I think there's this notion that he's just a ball stopper and like everything has to flow through him. And I think to an extent, like at his best, yeah, the ball is flowing through him. But I tweeted this out yesterday too. Um, he's in the top 25 in the NBA in touches per game, but he's 25th out of 25 in time of possession time of possession per touch so everything he does is about quick flowing actions just touch passes a lot of uh kind of buffering sets and making it so like it part of the reason why he's been so effective for indiana they really don't have somebody who can create without a ball screen as much as they'll try to make it happen um he's fantastic as a screener dho operator doing things just like with quick movement and good decision making to open things up that probably wouldn't be there if you didn't have him um I think some people can view that as a crutch. I think for a small market team that doesn't have access to a, a star who can create without a ball screen, 
Like that's a godsend. And that's why I think I'm probably a little bit higher on, I mean, I would not have wanted to give up Tyrese Halliburton, but I actually am really intrigued by the Fox Sabonis pairing. Um, and then as to other things, like I think people think he's a terrible defender and he's not a great defender. Like he's not Rigo Barry. He's not Joel Embiid. He's not going to lock down the paint for you, but I mean, he's a lot more mobile than I think he gets credit for. He's got pretty active hands. Um, He's been played out of position a lot due to some coaching confusion, frankly, last year and just having to play next to another center. Um, I think that Sacramento definitely has a lot to figure out defensively, as we already saw in the first game of them playing together. But um, I just don't understand where some of the the notions with him come from. Like he's again, he's not great, but I think he's he's serviceable as a, as a defensive center and you just have to be creative with him. So on the court we're starting to see the Pacers give more minutes to some of their young players. Mm-hmm. And one guy that's been getting a lot more time with Sabonis gone is Isaiah Jackson. He's the 22nd pick from this past year's draft. Uh, what have you seen from Jackson in some of his early minutes? And what do you think about his potential fit with Miles Turner, assuming the Pacers keep him? Well, that's what I'm, I'm really interested to see the rest of the season because Miles is supposed to come back in March. Uh, Isaiah is coming back from injury in the next couple of days. Um, I think ideally, and I mean, they've said as much, they view him as a four long-term Right now, though, he's not. Um, I think the idea is him as a four, like he can play there defensively, but offensively until his shot gets more ironed out and his fuel comes along. I just don't think he's there yet, um, which is what makes it a little bit difficult with Miles because as much as Miles has come along as an offensive player, um, part of what worked with the Sabonis-Turner pairing is that Miles can play the five on defense and the four on offense and make it work because of having Sabonis' playmaking alongside him. Um, like, Isaiah has shown some awesome, awesome flashes. Like uh, he's a, again, like somebody who's shown some of that quick touch passing ability. They've, they've played him at the elbows a little bit, especially in summer league and in the G league, they would use him as a trigger man a lot, it's a lot to figure out as a screener and just physicality in general. Cause he's like, I think he's six ten, but like two Oh five. So he is very slight right now. Um, he doesn't really know big man defense yet. Like that's something that's going to be a work in progress for him. Uh, anytime he, he plays in drop, he's he's very active at jumping. Like he's got a great second jump and just initial jump, but he likes to jump a lot. Um, so right now he's like pretty much only capable of of switching at, a, at an effective level. And it's awesome that he can do that, but it's going to be ironing out the other things. Um, he also is, I think, the first lob threat. I went back and just like I went back through basketball reference, and like most dunks in a year for, for everybody and yeah. Thinking through, was this guy actually a lob threat? How, how often could you actually throw the ball into the air and have that guy be a threat? I think he's the first lob threat that the Pacers have had since Josh McRoberts. So that is a, <laughs> that is going back, and that's also saying something. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and he's been remarkable with that. Like, it, it opened up a lot for Karras, um, who, who really benefited having a lob threat next to him. Um, the flashes have been really intriguing. I just caution fans to to keep their expectations in check because I, I like he still is kind of far away from being uh, a ready NBA rotation player in my opinion. So last question: the Pacers are officially part of Tank Race 2022. You've been following the draft. Mm-hmm. Which of the top prospects in the upcoming draft would you be most interested in adding to this current Pacers roster to pair with Tyrese Halliburton, Chris Duarte? Yeah, uh, man. See, that's the tough part. I uh, obviously the top four feels kind of solidified. I think, you know, if they if they get the you know like a top one or top two pick and things really work out in the lottery, 
obviously I think you take the best player. Like to me, I think the best player in the draft is Paolo Bancaro. Like, I don't, I don't really think it to me, at least it's not a question. I like Jabari Smith. I just have a lot of holes about what he could be as a primary in offense. Um, but for where the Pacers are going to be slotted, I think the ideal vision for them is getting the, the four pick. If, if they don't end up, you know, keep lucking into the, the top one or two pick and getting Jaden Ivy. Like, I think the idea of him, alongside Duarte and, and Halliburton is, is fantastic. Like, I, I think we've seen more teams willing to transition to three guard lineups. And it is tough because even that we're seeing a lot more, like, like we're talking about the top of the draft, it's four guys who are all like six, nine, six, ten, really long, active and skilled. Um, we're seeing teams that are transitioning more towards just having skill and size, you know, it's not just size, but it's having a combination of both, but um adding somebody who can pressure the rim like that, like that is a big thing that the Pacers are missing right now. Even if they have Brogdon back, who I, I, I think that there's more that will go into that about trading him. But um, I think the idea of adding somebody with primary capabilities who doesn't quite have like the playmaking and feel to, um, to be a full on primary. So, and honestly, like there's some comparisons you can make between Ivy and, and De'Aaron Fox in a way, like they have the ability to bend a defense like a primary, but they're not always capable of uh, manipulating a defense after having that. I think if you add Ivy to a player like like Tyrese Halliburton, that's extremely intriguing to me. Ooh, I, I like that answer. I wasn't expecting it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, Mark, thank you for answering our questions. It is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, where Andrew goes head-to-head against a NBA beat writer this week, our guest, Mark Schindler. Mark, how this works, I've come up with eight questions about the Pacers. Some are easy, some are hard. You're going to give me a number between one and eight. It'll correspond to a question. If you get it right, you get two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one. We'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So just start me off with a number between one and eight. Oh, seven. Question number seven. Lance Stevenson made his return to the NBA this season after a two-year absence. In addition to the Pacers, Lance has played for seven other NBA franchises, and we're going to try to name them all. So how this works, Mark, (laughs) you'll give me a name, then Andrew will give me a name. We'll go back and forth until one of you stumbles, or perhaps you get all of them. So, Mark, start me off. Obviously, the Pacers are already assumed, so don't name the Pacers, but any other team? Uh, Charlotte Hornets. That is correct. Andrew? Uh, the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies. That is correct. Back to Mark. Uh, the Lakers. The Lakers. That is correct. Four more names, Andrew? Oh, man. <laughs> and he did play games for all of these teams. He was not just okay. on the roster. There's four more. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that is, is crazy. Kind of there are four more. I think he played for Atlanta. I think that was one of his previous stops. Andrew? That is correct. Back to Mark. Oh. 
Uh, he played in New Orleans. Yes, he did. <laughs> Back to Andrew. Oh my gosh, I don't know this next. The last <laughs> one is this the last one? Uh, no, there's two more. There's two more. Yeah, you can just throw know. out a team name. Maybe you'll get lucky. Oh, I think he did. He play for the Clippers. He did he play, play for, the for the Clippers, Andrew. Yeah. Which brings us to the final team. Can you guys sweep it, Mark? Do you remember the last team Lance Stevenson played for? We go through and say who we. Yes, who we yes, yes. Uh, so we got okay. the Lakers and Clippers. We got Charlotte, Memphis, Atlanta, and then New Orleans. Did we say Memphis? Uh, yeah, Memphis was one of the. Yes. Oh my bad. I'm crap. Oh man, I'm trying to think now. I will be uh, honest, I do not remember. I cannot picture him in a jersey of this team. But it apparently oh, did happen. I don't get it. I'm normally really good at this. I'm able I remember every team Jeff Green has played for, so I should be able to remember this yeah, one. Well, that's um, a tough one. Uh, we should we should give you the Ish Smith challenge sometime. Oh god, that one that one I would fail. Uh, can I get a year that he played there? Can you get a year? I, this is a question, man. Okay. Uh, okay. I will. If not, if, if, if I give you a year, if you get it right, you will only get one point. Are you willing? That's to okay with it? me. Okay. It was yeah, that's okay with me. It was the 2016-17 season. It was not the Mavericks. God, this is awful. <laughs> it, like I literally, I know <laughs> all the NBA teams. I can't remember them. <laughs> Denver. Did you play for Denver? Denver. That is incorrect. Yes. In, oh, what? No. Yeah, okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> I was remember he played for the gold earlier this year, so I thought maybe it was them. But. It was the Minnesota oh. Timberwolves. What? Yeah. Played six that. games. Wow. I don't even remember that. <laughs> all right. That's crazy. Andrew, you got one point for all of that, and uh, it is now your turn. Number one. Question number one. Okay. Quiz. Chris Duarte is having a nice rookie season for the Pacers this year, averaging 13 points per game. Did you know, in the last 20 years, there's only been one other rookie who is 24 years or older in their rookie season who also averaged at least 13 points per game? Who was it? Now, that's a very hard question. If you want one point, I will tell you the season that it happened in. Or you can just just guess it out. Give me the hint. I'll take the hint. Okay. The season was... The 2019-20 season. For I really just point. cannot. I cannot think of it. I don't know. I'm. I don't know. Okay, Mark, you have a chance to steal, and you got a little extra hint there. I I got to be honest. I have no idea. It was Miami Heat rookie Kendrick Nunn. Oh, okay. oh man, false rookie. <laughs> I guess he wasn't right. rookie, but oh, man, false rookie. How dare you? I know. I was thinking the draft class, and I'm like, Hendrick Nunn's still alive. I would like to know. Right? That's yeah. The worst bone bruise in the history of bone bruises. It does worry me because I was just yeah. looking at his basketball reference. Like, oh, there's no 21-22 line. Okay, Mark, it is your turn. What number would you like? I'll go with number four. Question number four. One of the themes of this Pacers season has been their issues in the clutch. According to NBA.com, the Pacers are 8-23 and 23 in clutch games, which is both the worst winning percentage in the league and also tied with this Eastern Conference playoff team for most clutch games in the league with 31. So who is the Eastern Conference playoff team, current playoff team, that has played the most clutch games in the league? And I mentioned playoffs, so that means they're a top six seed, so I've already narrowed it down. The Charlotte? It is not Charlotte. Oh, wait, they're not. Cleveland? 
also wrong. It's the Philadelphia mm. 76ers. Uh, mm. I, I don't know how you would have known that, but okay, here we go. Andrew, <laughs> <laughs> your turn. Number two. Question number two. Miles Turner is currently leading the league in blocks per game with 2.81, which, if it holds, will be the third time in his career that he has led the league in blocks. There are only eight players in NBA history who have accomplished this feat. I will give you one point for every one you can name. So you have the potential, Andrew, here. This is the most points I've ever been willing to give away. You have the potential to get eight points, but I have a feeling you will not. So these are players in NBA history who led the league in blocks per game at least three times in their career. Mutombo? Dikembe Mutombo. That is correct for one point. And Mark, whatever um, Andrew doesn't get, you'll have a shot to answer those. So you can you, you can start floppy seconds. You can Here start thinking of names. Ibaka? Serge Ibaka did not. So Andrew only gets one point. Mark, you can now get seven points if you really knew a bunch of shot blockers. Alonzo Mourning. Alonzo Mourning only did it twice. What? No way. The that other names. Close. Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Hakeem Olajuwon. Mark Eaton, George Johnson, Marcus Camby, Theo Ratliff, and the only recent one, Anthony Davis. I was surprised Dwight never did it. Dwight never did it. Uh, I thought, uh, uh, I was about to say Hashim the Beat. No, uh, Hassan Whiteside. (laughs) I was surprised Whiteside never did it. Okay. Well, we have a a rousing game right now, two to (laughs) zero. And Mark, (laughs) it is your board. Uh, I'll take number eight. Question number eight. Okay, now... I will admit, this may be a very easy question, but I did not know this. Tyrese Halliburton is the cousin of this NBA player who was a three-time... Eddie Jones. Okay, okay. I didn't know that. I thought it might be easy. That's two points for Mark. I only know that Eddie Jones is one of my favorite players. He's so fun to go back and watch, man. Oh, wow. This is a perfect question for you. Because now we have a tie game. Two to two. Andrew, control the board. Number three. Question number three. Five... Of the top six in minutes played for the Pacers are no longer on the team, with only Chris Duarte left from that group. Who has played the seventh most minutes for the Pacers this year? (laughs) (laughs) So basically, on their current roster, other than Duarte, who has played the next most minutes? Is it Jeremy Lamb? Well, no, he's not on the team, Andrew. And that's oh, he's not on the team wrong. anymore. Okay, let me try You're, again. Let no, try you again. lost. <laughs> lost. Mark, you get a chance to steal. Oh, man. <laughs> Who's even left on the team right now? Andrew was thinking uh, of the second Jeremy Lamb. Yeah, the second Jeremy I, I'm Lamb. I'm still trying to, to stay, figure out right? where he's from, you know. But, uh, <laughs> wow, who is left on this team? I swear to God, I do cover the team, and I pay attention <laughs> and watch every game. But it's 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 so much harder when you're actually, like, doing it live. Um O'Shea Brissett? It is not. It is. I actually wrote this down wrong, uh, but you still could have gotten it. It it is Miles Turner. Despite only appearing uh, in 42 games, he's played 1,235 minutes. Oh, total minutes. I thought it was minutes per game. Uh, You know what? That was a really unfair question, though, because I screwed it up. Uh, Because I only played the seventh most minutes. No, he's no, he's fourth. I screwed it up. Screwed it up, Andrew. Okay, I'm sorry. I screwed it up, too. I said Jeremy Lamb. Hey, no harm, no foul. It's 2-2. We have two questions left. Mark, you get your choice between five and six. Uh, I will take five. Ooh, and I'm glad you did. The Uh The Pacers mascot 
is a cat named Boomer who has been with the team since the 1991 season. Until the 2009-2010 season, Boomer had a sidekick dog mascot who in November 2021 was voted the fifth most missed mascot by a betting website for some reason. Okay. (laughs) What was that sidekick dog's name? I'm going to give you five names. One of them is real. Four of them are made up. Okay, here we go. Bowser, Comet, Pacer, Hooper, or Indiana Bones? I'll go through those again. That was Bowser, Comet, Pacer, Hooper, or Indiana Bones? I'm going to go with Bowser. Mark, that is absolutely correct for two points. Wow. I had no idea. I would think I was 12 in 2009, 2010. So that's a ways back for me. But if they do bring him back, highly suggest Indiana Bones because that's a great name. It's better than a cat, man. I have no idea why why Boomer is a cat or why Boomer (laughs) exists, but (laughs) didn't ask me. Uh, Okay, Andrew, you have a chance to tie it up on the final final question. These two players are tied for most three-pointers in a single game as a pacer. And this question is one point per name. You got to get both of them, though, to, to get the tie. So most three-pointers in a single game as a pacer, two guys are tied. Well, that's going to be weird. But I was, I'll just say Paul George and Reggie Miller, but I don't know. Paul George is correct. Reggie Miller? Incorrect, because it was TJ <laughs> Warren in his 52-point oh, no. game or whatever that was. He hit nine threes. They both hit nine threes. That means Mark Schindler is our winner this week on Andrew versus the Beat, four to three, because he remembered Bowser, the sidekick dog. (laughs) I walked into Bowser, the sidekick dog. (laughs) Awesome. Go go read Mark on Indie Cornrows. Go listen to his podcast. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. This was awesome. All right, thank you to Mark Schindler, but it's now time to set aside the Pacers, Andrew, and choose our new favorite team for next week. There are, uh, let's see here, 24, 25 names left, 25 teams left. I would love to get a team that just made a move. We could watch what they look like. I w- the Pelicans. Yes. The Pelicans would be great. I'd watch Pels, the Pelicans. Kings. Kings. Great week for the Kings. Let's see. Not a great week for the Blazers. Please don't get the Blazers. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Spinning the wheel of fandom. Who are we going to get next week? It will be... The Houston Rockets. (laughs) The standing pat at the deadline. Houston Rockets. Wow. Hey, they they traded Tice. Hey, I was actually going to say, like, at least we'll get to watch Shingun hopefully play more than 15 minutes a game this week. That's no, I, I still think I still think we're going to talk about how Shengun doesn't play enough. No. That'll, be, that'll be one of our questions for sure. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for listening to the Saturday Slam and Jam. If you leave us a five-star Apple Podcast review, we will read it on the podcast. So go do that today, and we will read it next week on the podcast. Hope you guys enjoy your weekend, and we will talk to you guys again next week.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.